Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey everybody, welcome back into a brand new episode of Dimming the Gaslight. My name is Mac and thanks for coming in for the newest episode. I want to thank my prior guest, which was Melanie. Uh, I talked about how Melanie and I, she was the very first person I ever talked to on social media back a long time ago when I first discovered narcissism and I just shot out a message and she and I ended up connecting and really became close friends. So Melanie, thank you so much for doing that episode. Um, like I said, this podcast would feel so incomplete if I never had you on. So thank you so much for doing that. Um, last week, I took a little hiatus um, kind of to just recharge my batteries. But I also wanted to work on my social media presence a little bit. Um, I created a Facebook group that you can join. Just go to Dimming the Gaslight Facebook group. And uh, there's a couple. There's my original OG followers are all in this group. And it's so cool to see a bunch of people on there and just, you know, interact with each other on a personal basis. Um, but another thing I did is, you know, I've been talking about my face reveal on this podcast. And, uh, you know, I haven't done shown my face ever on my platform because I'm in a custody battle for my kids. But I think it's time to show you guys who's behind this podcast. So uh, a couple of my friends and I, we came up with an idea almost to do a funeral for my wedding. So what we did is we went back to the ocean uh, at the beach where I got married and shot a video, which was the funeral for my wedding. So when you guys listen to this, I'm planning on putting out this video to show my face uh, Sunday morning when this episode comes out. And I'm nervous about it. Um, be kind. I'm not ugly. <laughs> but I think it'll be cool. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to you guys getting to know me uh, a little bit closer. Um, I also spent the past week doing some research on my next guest, who is really an amazing... I mean, this might be my most amazing guest I've ever had on. She's the former wife of Jordan Belfort, famously known as the Wolf of Wall Street. And she turned therapist. She helps women all over the world escape toxic relationships. And uh, she agreed to come on the show. So I read her book. And um, this episode is about her new book set to release on January 9th called Run Like Hell. So I think you guys are going to love this episode and check it out. All right, everybody. Welcome back into a brand new episode of Dimming the Gaslight. I am so, so stoked for the guest that I have with me today. Her name is Dr. Nadine Macaluso. She is the ex-wife of the Wolf of Wall Street, Jordan Belfort. And also she is an expert in identifying trauma bonds, helping women heal from narcissistic abuse and teaching individuals and couples how to create healthy love. She has a new book set to drop on January 9th called Run Like Hell. And Dr. Nadine, you sent me an advanced copy of this book and whoa, it's like you were there for my whole relationship. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, I'm so happy to be here and have this conversation. This is great. This is great. Thank you so much. So listen, before we dive into the book and before we dive into the movie and all that kind of stuff, I think it's kind of important to get a little backstory, talk about your upbringing, how you got to this point and what ultimately led you to marry the Wolf of Wall Street, write your book and all that kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah, so thank you for that. I was born in England, actually. 
My mother was 19 when she had me. And I, but I, then I was raised in Brooklyn really by a single mom. My parents divorced pretty early. And I had a really magical, charmed childhood. I, you know, the Brooklyn in the 70s was awesome. All the kids were playing on the street. It was before the internet. And I don't know, it was a really beautiful community. I grew up relatively poor, but nobody knew because we were all the same, right? And so my mom was very psychological, very into Freud and young and always talking to me about feelings. And so I had a pretty charm-blessed childhood. And I grew up poor, as I mentioned. So I actually went into Manhattan to model to make money. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like I wanted to be a model or it was, and it was like boring as hell. And it wasn't that much fun to be constantly judged on how you look. It's actually very hard job through that lens, right? And then I was modeling in the city. I was living in Brooklyn Heights with my best girlfriend at the time. And I was dating this guy. And as the movie shows, I went to a party in the Hamptons with this big white house on the beach. And I show up, you know, 21. I, maybe I was 20. Maybe I was 22. I think I was 21. And I go into this party. And I said, my boyfriend, like, what's up with everybody? They're acting weird. I didn't know what a quaalude was back then. And then one guy did expose himself to me, and I was like, "We gotta get the hell out of here." All right, yeah, that this was, is that was a question that I had for the movie, but I'm glad I was like, like "Yeah, I was like, this is crazy. We gotta get the hell out of here." We left, and hence, you know, hence we're off. The mm-hmm. wolf has seen me now, and he's gonna track me down. Yeah. Not, not unbeknownst to me. Yeah, crazy, crazy. So. I so while reading your book, I learned a little bit about your whole story. And, you know, you want you one of the chapters in your book is called turning your wound into wisdom. Yeah. And so what ultimately led you to go down that path to enter therapy and start becoming a therapist for trauma bonds and trauma informed? Yeah. Yeah. So what happened was right after I met Jordan, you know, he was so intense and so crazy and our life was so crazy. I grew up like I said, not wealthy. I didn't know about mansions and limos and managing help. But, you know, I was 22. I yeah. got myself right into therapy. Mm-hmm. So I got myself right into therapy then because I was like, I can't deal with all of this. Mm-hmm. And thank God I did because I believe it saved my life during that time. And hence, after I left Jordan and moved to California, I was in California drinking green juice, doing yoga, meditating and working, raising my kids like everybody does. And I and I got the idea to go back to school. Very cool. Yeah, very cool. So while reading this book, I want to get into a couple of different like focal points that I was reading and like was really impressed by. And before you and I got on the air, the resonating thing throughout the book is a term that you use called a pathological lover. And it's not pathological liar like most of us would assume. Can you talk a little bit about what a pathological lover is as it relates to narcissism? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I I just don't like it when everybody just throws the term narcissism out there because this pathological person is so much more than that. Right. right? So pathological, simply what it means is mentally unwell. Right. Anybody who's going to use, exploit, betray, harm, cheat on you, abuse you, control you, they're mentally unwell. You know, if they're going to consistently do that. So that's why I call them pathological lovers. Now, they do pathologically lie, too. That's, you know, that's part of the personality. But the personality is very deep. There's narcissists. There's, as I talk about, Machiavellianism, which means they're manipulative. Their sadism means they can get pleasure out of seeing the people they like hurt. They can be psychopathic. They can have a mood disorder. They can have compulsive issues, right? Such as sex and gambling. They are impulsive. So they're a very layered, nuanced person. That's why, unless you're trained, very hard to figure out. So that's why I use the umbrella term pathological lover, because it really encompasses all the different nuances that this person can have. Yeah. It's so funny. Like, so many of us walk around and we think like, oh my God, like my whole situation is like something out of a movie and your real life is something that they made out of the movie. And you just brought up sadism. Sadism, yeah. And I was sitting there and like, while I'm reading the book, I'm thinking like, it's so hard to get into the heads of these people with the sadism and like seeing you hurt and like your partner is with you, they're crying. They're really genuinely trying to come to a point of understanding as a team And they're manipulating the whole situation for their benefit, whether it be financial or sexual or a status symbol or whatever it may be. And you're sitting there trying to work on it. 
especially in therapy. Oh my God, with the triangulation in therapy. But it's so weird, the sadism of how they want to see you hurt. Yes, yes, yes. Some of them really, they get pleasure, right? So that's the thing about sadism. Like all the other parts of the personality will use, lie, betray, harm, exploit you for their own, to get their own needs met for power, pleasure, money, and status. The sadism piece, which is really sad, is that they get pleasure out of seeing only people that they know and are connected to her. And that's really disheartening. Totally. I mean, so in my personal situation, I don't know how much you know about my situation, but my, I refer to her as my next, I don't use names, but my next put false allegations of domestic abuse on me and removed my three and five-year-old from me in my home. And I was homeless and I had no communication with my kids for a hundred days. I'm still yet to prove my innocence. I'm on trial. It's a whole crazy story. The listeners can go back and listen to it. But yeah, the sadism of they don't care who they hurt. They'll use their own children as pawns. Yeah. Yeah. That's when, yeah, that's when it really gets horrible when people start to weaponize their children. I have no tolerance for that. Absolutely. Well, so that's one of the the topics that I wanted to talk to you about is co-parenting with the wolf of fucking wall street and by the way dr nadine before we go any further i know you're a northeast girl i'm a northeast boy i'm over in oh you can curse yeah I, so- i've heard your other i've heard your other interviews that's what i like about you we both have the same building. yeah no it's totally fine it's totally fine you know i always say this to people that i got lucky in the sense that when i the reason i was able to leave my ex and he got arrested, right? So someone who was an emotional criminal to me got recognized to the world as a criminal. So I felt safe enough that he couldn't do anything to me. And that really kind of leveled the playing ground for us as parents. Mm. And I'm not a person that would ever weaponize my children. I could have. you want to be involved in the kids' lives? Yes, he's very involved. He is a very good dad. We've always been really good co-parents. But that situation did level the playing ground because now he couldn't have power over me and he couldn't weaponize the children against me because he was a criminal, what, right? What did what did the children think about him being in jail? You know, they were so young. So he, also, he got arrested. He didn't go to jail probably for five till five years later mm-hmm. because remember, he worked with the government. Right. So he didn't go till they were like eight and 10, I think. And so in my family, we're very open. We're very real. We're very authentic. My daughter's even a therapist now. Oh, wow. So we always spoke about this. You know, I didn't speak about him in a disparaging way. Well, maybe sometimes, but I tried not to. But like, these are the facts and they knew he was going to go away. And you know what? We dealt with it. They dealt with it. I supported them through it. But yeah, so we've always been able to co-parent. Which I'm sure is shocking to a lot of people. You know, it's funny. You and I talked offline and I heard somewhere that you and Jordan now are on like amicable terms. Yeah. And to me, I have this person breathing down my neck, making false allegations at every turn. And you guys are on amicable terms. How did, how does that go? You know, I think I made a decision a long time ago. I said, you know what? I have children with this guy and I got to figure this out. And it's my job to figure it out for them. And my parents were divorced and my dad was not the best dad. He wasn't cruel to me or anything. He just wasn't great with my mother and the money and all that. And my mother never disparaged him and gave me the space to have a relationship with him. So I had a good role model in that way. And yeah, we just, I mean, listen, Trust me, we've had our fights. Oh, there. I'm sure. You know, I'm sure. we've gone to therapy with our son. And I think I cursed him out in the therapy office. The therapist was like blown away by us. So let's not, I'm not going to say it's always been great, right. but we've always been able to come back together for the kids. That's and yeah, we've been really lucky like that. Like my kids went to the movie premiere. Oh, wow. Did you, how know? did you feel about that? You know, a lot of my friends got mad at me and- I just was like, you know, that's but that's their dad. That's their dad. Dad, and and that's their life, and and that's that's their their mom. Yeah, and I have to. This is bigger than me. And so, yeah, he moved to California after I moved to be with the kids. You know, he loves his kids in his way. He loves them, and he's there for them. But I just don't believe in weaponizing children. I think that is the sickest. Yeah. Most horrible thing that can happen. And I'm just really sorry you're enduring that. Yeah, thank you. It's it's super hard. And uh, it's something that I will fight to rectify for as long yeah. as it takes. I don't care if it makes me broke. I don't care if I die. I don't care what it takes. I will fight to rectify that. Going back to the beginning of the relationship, a large portion of your book 
is about trauma bonds. And that is your specialty. Yeah. Um, I wanted to do like, so, you know, you just mentioned a little bit ago that he was a government informant. There's little things that are leaking out while you talk so we can see what's real within the Wolf of Wall Street movie and the real life. I want to talk about the trauma bonding that you endured. Yeah. The roses, the roses, filling up the room with roses. So check back. Really? Oh, yeah. I, I met him. I went on one date with him. Did I even go on a date? No, it was a date that he had set up that I didn't even know was a date. And then the what? next. Okay. Yeah, he he. I mean, if he 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 paid somebody fifteen thousand dollars to set me up on a blind date, like on a date with him and her. And I had no idea. Jesus. So, and then we he drove me home, and I was like, then I finally clicked. I was like, oh, I think this guy likes me, but I had no idea that I was okay. being set up. But then the next day, I was having a birthday party for my friends, and I came home, and there were. I mean, I grew up in. I mean, I was living in a small apartment in Brooklyn with my best friend. Couldn't even come into the apartment. So many flowers. How about how about the yacht? Yeah, so the yacht was true. Yep, that was true. I did not want the yacht. He wanted it because I was like, I don't want to be with two little babies who can't swim on the water. But he, you know, it's Jordan's world, and I was living in it. And then what about the story of the yacht going down? Is yes, that true? Very, that was very true. That was horrific. I, you know, it's so funny. I expect you to say like, well, you know, shades of the truth. But then you oh, say the no. yacht actually freaking went down. Yeah, that was so scary. That was beyond scary. I mean, yeah, we got caught in a squall and the waves and everything was breaking in the boat and we were taking on water. But the rules of the sea is that you have to come save other boats when you're on the sea. So I think the Italian Navy tried to save us. Well, the Italian Coast Guard, they couldn't. Then the Italian Navy rerouted an intrepid. Okay. Like intrepid that, like a big ship. Yeah, like like a house, like a like a like a its own city. An intrepid's as big as a city. <laughs> right. They they had some boats come break the waves for us, and then the intrepid rerouted itself, and that's when they saved us. Got fo- hoisted 40 feet up into a helicopter. That's so, so insane. See, like yeah. I said, there's there's certain things that are like, like I expect you to say shades of the truth. You're like, no, that's that's completely all true. Fair. How do you function <laughs> in that kind of environment? Like, like, so you said I grew up poor. I grew up, you know, my parents were relatively normal, although they were yeah. young. And you're getting like roses and yachts. I mean, you know, and you're you're young. You said you're 22, 23 years old. How do you function when all that's going on? What is that doing to your brain? What are you thinking? You know, that's why I got my ass right into therapy because Mm -hmm. I yeah, what I was dealing with. You know, I just kind of took it in stride. I just I just was like, okay, this is my life. My my trick in life is always to get educated. Mm -hmm. Right. So then I went to cooking school. I went to interior design school. I went to wine school, like to learn about all these things that were coming into my life. Yeah. Because I really believe that education leads to empowerment. Mm -hmm. Right. And hence, you know, I got my doctorate and want to educate women about or everybody about trauma bonds. So I got educated. I was in therapy. No. And initially I was really in love. Yeah. I mean, I can I can totally relate. I mean, early on, it was like we we took this unbelievable trip to Maine up to George Bush's compound and had this absolutely beautiful dinner with like lobster ratatouille overlooking the ocean. It's unbelievable. Right. And ultimately, like the pictures there became our wedding announcement. And like, I was like, man, I've never experienced healthy love before. And I, I love it. I have a follower who says to me, I love the love bombing stage because of course I'm awesome. Why wouldn't somebody love me after one week? You know? Right. Yes. And that's the thing about love bombing. It does feel good until you recognize really what it is. Right. right? Because this is why I say if it feels too good to be true, it probably is. It's got to be, right? So yeah. how do you, so with your clinical expertise, how do you get over like the guilt and the ruminations, oh, that was such a big deal for me. The ruminations after leaving and you're like, I feel like such a fool. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing is that it's not your shame to carry. You know, abuse is always the issue of the abuser. And that's one of the reasons why I wrote my book, because I just feel like we have to stop blaming the victims here. Mm-hmm. You know, because when you go into a relationship with the intention to truly love somebody and share your life with them, but the other person has totally different intentions that you're clueless about, you're no match for them. Right. And rumination is very real, which for those who don't know what it is, it's like constant overthinking, overthinking, overthinking. And I and, constantly less lost sleep, yeah. man. I was up till yes. I was up for like 72 hours at a time and my body would just shut down. Like I, it was almost like yeah. narcolepsy. I would just be like, because I couldn't function in this like yeah, the rumination is, 
Yeah, the rumination is real. And that's where I work with my patients to use your mind to control your brain, brain to recognize the rumination and that overthinking, 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 but doesn't get you anywhere is useless, as you know. Yeah. It gives you insomnia, doesn't solve any problems. But it is a very real thing because we do feel, I felt shame for sure after I left, you know? Yeah. And everybody, and everybody looked, especially after a member back then, 25 years ago, whatever it was, 30, I don't even know how many years. Yeah, I, I can't even count how many years it was. But nobody was talking about narcissism. Nobody was talking about trauma bonds. Nobody was talking about coercive control. Do so, you remember, Do you remember your aha moment of learning about narcissism? I didn't learn about narcissism till I don't even know, till I became a therapist probably. Mm. You know, again, nobody was talking about this. So I really didn't. And then I didn't even learn about dark tetrad and trauma bonds till years ago. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a long story, but there's a band that I love called the Gaslight Anthem. And I always knew about oh, like the that. name. Yeah. No, they're from New Jersey. There's a punk band called the Gaslight Anthem. And I always knew the word gaslighting, but I did research on gaslighting and never learned about narcissism. I guess it just fell through the cracks until one time my next was clearly gaslighting me in public and like scooped up the kids, ran away. And then I went home and I researched gaslighting and that's when it clicked for me. And I learned about trauma bonding and you know triangulation and reactive abuse that was a big thing for me because listen yeah. i'm no saint i'm no angel i ran my mouth i did things i i wish i never said but then i never was an abuser i never put my hands on her never anything like that and as you know i'm sure from dealing with your patients is like the shame and guilt we feel for i always hear from a lot of people that reach out to me as they say they turned me into somebody that i didn't want to yeah. be well and i really want to address that because that is a hugely important topic so here's the thing there's really not such a thing as mutual abuse because the person who's the true perpetrator a pathological person they have they are abusing you with the intention to abuse to control you and to have power over you right they want to manipulate and control and harm you when you are reacting to their abuse you're simply reacting because you've had it you don't have a malintention to harm them and i and i did a po i did a video about this this week if i was walking down the street and somebody came up to me and started to yell at me and disparage me and try to intimidate and dominate me and i reacted to them is that mutual abuse? No. No. So then why right. do we call it mutual abuse when it's within the context of a love relationship? Yeah, I don't get it. And I, I really feel like there needs to be some sort of revolution on that term reactive abuse because I don't buy it. Just like I want to get into a little bit. You don't necessarily buy that. Everybody's codependent. No. I read in your book. Oh, I hate it too. And the thing is, is like until I read your book recently, you know, you address that like we talk about codependency. I don't believe that I'm a codependent. I believe that I genuinely went in with the right yeah. intentions, looking for love, looking for marriage, looking for kids, looking for that white picket fence idea. I yeah. don't believe that I was codependent. I think I got into it for the right reasons, not knowing that I was being manipulated. And I'm going to tell you a few reasons why codependency bugs me. First of all, when I was with Jordan, because he was an addict, everybody assumed I was codependent. And I was like, okay, I'm codependent. I'm codependent. I'm running around trying to fix myself. And that doesn't mean that I didn't have things to work on. Of course I did. Sure. But I'm trying to fix myself like crazy after I was abused by a maniac, right? Yeah. The second thing is, I just want to read something here, is that codependency, Melody Beattie describes it as caretaking, low self-worth, repressed feelings, obsessing over things, denial, dependency, weak boundaries, poor communication, mm -hmm. right? Who doesn't have those things that they work on as they're developing as a human? Sure. We all have them. Exactly. So, Right. So that's that's another and then, thing. And then one of the things you just mentioned was yeah. low self-esteem. So what am I supposed to do? Walk around thinking I'm the narcissist? Right, right. Like, what the fuck? And then this, the third reason is once I read Women Who Love Psychopaths and a big shout out to Sandra L. Brown, M.A., who you know I quote like crazy is in the book, is that I learned about my personality traits. And I remember one of my other therapists recently, like maybe 10 years ago, eight years ago, he goes, you're the farthest thing from codependent. You have avoidant attachment. You don't even have needs, right? So, so it was like Sandra's work, me doing all my research, learning that I have high agreeableness and high conscientiousness. That really got me angry about codependency. Thank you. I feel like from reading your book, that kind of was the first time that I was able to be like, no, see, like, you know, nobody can see you on screen, but you were raising your hand, like saying, I'm codependent. And like, I feel like I was just agreeing with that. 
And I never truly really identified with that. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that doesn't mean that we don't all have things that we need to work on. Of course we do. But a big part of my book, as you read, is taking those labels of learned helplessness and codependent and enablers off of people that are victimized by pathological people. Again, that doesn't mean we don't have our work to do, mm-hmm. right? And we just don't have to pathologize the victim. Right. Well, part of the work that we have to do is you mentioned learning about the characteristics of your personality. And there's- yes. there's Right. So there's five characteristics that you talk about in the book, you know, which is is this universal tool used to measure your personality, openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. I feel like I might touch into that neuroticism a lot. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's okay. Because, you know, especially with what you're going through right now, that might even be more prevalent with you, you know, being worried. Because the hypervigilance, the hypervigilance all the time. Yeah. yeah, the hypervigilance always looking over your shoulder. Yeah, so what I say is that always learn about your personality traits. Mine, I do score high in agreeableness and conscientiousness, which means that I'm highly tolerant, highly loyal. I have, a, I'm really into integrity. I'm really into relationships. I'm a pro-social person. If somebody comes to me with those traits, I'm not going to therapize them out. They're good traits. They get weaponized in the wrong hands. They get weaponized. And not everybody that falls into trauma bonds has that. And I break down different ways your personality traits can manifest and help you end up in a trauma bond. But here's the bottom line. Every single person on the planet. Yeah. And and that's the thing is like you hear from a lot of people, especially, you know, when you start breaking your silence, you know, because we protect the narcissist for so long that we almost feel shame for starting to divulge some of the things that were done to us behind the scenes. And like, for me, it was like, when I started doing that and like people go, oh, I would never let that happen to me. I would, that would never have happened to me. And I go, how the hell do you know? Like, go date her, go marry her and tell me that you wouldn't have let that happen. Right. And that's why, you know, that intermittent abuse, you know, when I was doing my research and I read, I forgot, maybe it's Donald Sutton's work, I forgot which who it was, but when it said that animal trainers that use intermittent abuse, meaning using gestures of extreme cruelty and extreme kindness with animals, the animal bonds 230% more to the trainer than straight kindness. Yeah. I was like, wow, okay. Yeah. So that way, that intermittent abuse does bond us more to somebody, ironically. And that's what people don't understand. Like, who wants to just live being abused? Right. I, I, you know, I was reading one time, I forget where I found it. You're you're good at quoting your sources. I forget where I found it, but I saw the scientific experiment one time where the rat is in like a maze with a piece of cheese. And then it gets to the piece of cheese, enjoys the piece of cheese, rat goes on with its life. Next day, they put the rat in there. They get to the piece of cheese and then the rat gets shot, right? And it's like, oh shit. And then it gets the piece of cheese. And then throughout the, the whole how it matriculates is that ultimately the rat dies trying to get that piece of cheese while getting shot. Right. And and that's kind of is real. Conditioning yeah. is real. Yes. Yeah. That Cond- that intermittent abuse is is horrible. Real. Um, yeah. In your book you talk about the grandiose narcissist versus yes. the vulnerable narcissist, as I love to call it, the covert narcissist. My next was certainly a covert narcissist. When you talk about gregariousness. Because gregariousness and the grandiose narcissist, they have a lot of agency. You know, they believe and they do make a lot of things happen in the world. Mm. And they're very gregarious about it. They're very big and bold and fearless about it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, hence my ex-husband who writes a book while they're in jail. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like there's a quote from your book where you write, gregariousness is having a Hollywood movie about how you swindle millions of innocent people out of their money ending up in jail and still coming out on top. And you read that? I wanted to offer them freak out for you. Here I am. I'm bigger than life. Doesn't yeah. matter what I do. Yeah. yeah. Well, so my next is way more covert. And like she has this persona in her town. She grew up, I, I refer to the town as Pleasantville on the podcast because okay. you know, I hide names. So in Pleasantville, that's where she grew up. That's where she works Her parents have lived there for 65 years. And she has this relatively squeaky clean image, although the the house of cards is starting to fall um, from what I hear. But how is it that these people 
can sneak under the radar mm. as a covert narcissist. How is it that people don't aren't keen to their bullshit? Well, because very different than the grandiose narcissist who's larger than life and in your face. Yeah. And like, here I am, watch me roar. Right. Right. They're not really, they don't behave like that. So it's, it's easier for them to be slinkier and more behind the scenes just because they're, they're, pathology is just a lot more hidden because they're not an in-your-face type of persona yeah yeah well that's the thing is that it's like i said people are starting to become more keen to her bullshit and i'm hoping that the shoe starts to fall sooner than later so i wanted to talk about how these narcissists you call it mind mapping yeah and how the narcissist ultimately uses their tactics in order to as you mentioned like the intermittent abuse like i shared that story about you know going to George Bush's compound on this amazing vacation and the meals and everything like that. Can you give us like some some common examples you hear of like that mind mapping of how people the narcissist will go and build you up and crash you down and what that does to like the dopamine receptors in your brain? Yeah, so I mean what they'll do is that they're watching what you like they're watching what makes you vulnerable they're what they're really studying who you are and so i think i give an example of this in the book it's like one of the women in this book um talks about how you know her dad had abandoned her right Mm -hmm. so the pathological person in the book knows that when they get into an argument if they just say i'm out it causes their partner to crash sure right now somebody who somebody who didn't fear abandonment that might not happen to. So they start to mind map your vulnerabilities, even mind map your strengths to know how to manipulate you. And I talk about a process called twinning, right? Where they're like, oh, you love tennis. I love tennis. Oh, you love Italian food. I love Italian food. And then it's like, oh my God, you know, we're so, we're soulmates. And with mind mapping, you're, you're really reading the other person's mind, not with a true genuine curiosity, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's actually, you want to utilize the information that you get. Again, they want to utilize it again for their own. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, that was, that was one, one example that absolutely drove me crazy in my marriage. And I'm not sure I've ever told this story in the podcast before, but I'm sure you, you know, you and I talk on social media and you see my social yeah. media page and yeah. I see my songs of the day. And I'm a big fan of Brandy Carlisle. If you know Brandy Carlisle, oh, yeah, she, does, of course. she does a she does a song called Wherever Is Your Heart, I Call Home. And it's kind of a folky song. My next note is I'm not very into dance music. It's just not really my thing. Okay. <laughs> and she goes, Oh, I heard a remix, a dance version the other day of Wherever Is Your Heart, I Call Home. Tune up for a week. I tried to find this song going, no way, no fucking way. And like, I couldn't find it. It was just her way of being like, your music sucks. Get over yeah. it. And like, I, like I'm sitting here going, how, why would she lie about that? And I like, I just remember now being like, God damn it. I love that song. There is no dance version. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, (sighs) well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed. So you don't have to download the new Bumble now. (laughs) Right. But let's think about it. And I and I and I call this antisocial empathy, right? For somebody to control you, because at the end of abuse is control. They have to understand you. Right. They have to understand you because they need to understand your thoughts, your desires, your emotions, if they're going to manipulate you or deceive you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also you talk about in the book how they have to isolate you from your supporters. 
And just a quick story for you. So I was estranged, long story short, I was yep. estranged from my family on my mother's side for 12 years, largely due to a fallout because of my next. After leaving the relationship, you know, I reconnected with my sister. Unfortunately, my mother passed away while I was in my relationship and I didn't get to say goodbye again because of the fallout with my next. But I was able to reconnect with my family and everything. And they all tell me, you know, we knew you were under a spell and you had free will, but we knew you were brainwashed and you couldn't help it. It's like a cult. And, you know, like there was also another situation with my best friend where my next told my best friend, she told me, your best friend's not responding to me on Facebook Messenger. And I was like, why? She's like, well, I asked him what to get you on your birthday and he just didn't respond to me. So I went over to my friend and I go, hey, is she reaching out to you? And he goes, no. And he sent a screenshot and he sent it to me. He goes, she never reached out to me. So I confronted her and I said, why are you saying my best friend won't respond to you when you never sent him a message to begin with? And it's because she wanted to turn me against my best friend for 15 years. So they go and they isolate the people in your lives yeah. that believe in you, that are that close to you, so that you are all theirs ripe for the picking. That's right. That's right. And I love it when they'll say, nobody will love you like I do. Yeah. Right. It sounds nice, but no, we, we benefit from a lot of people's love. Yeah. yeah but they, But you're easier to control when you don't have people questioning you and saying, you sure you want to do that? Yeah. Wait, what? You sure you really, that's that's really how you want to behave? I can see how Jordan would use that against you being like, listen, I'm the goddamn Wolf of Wall Street, bought you a yacht. Like, look at, look at what you have because of me. And you would have nothing if it weren't for me. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. He would, he would tell me, you know, oh, you can't hang out with this one. I, I don't like the way she is. Or you can't hang out with this one because I don't like what she said about me or... Yeah, or, or like when I was modeling, he was like, stop working. You're only making 3000 a day. That doesn't matter. Yeah, Please. a lot of control. And I was just like, oh, he just must love me so much. That's why he wants to just be with me and make my life better. I didn't know. So as I understand, you are remarried in yeah. a healthy relationship now. How? What advice do you have for people entering into like the dating world and how to kind of qualify their new partner. Yeah. I mean, I know it's really hard to date after you left a trauma bond. And I was so afraid to trust again. And to a few things, let's not just give everybody blind trust. Trust really has to be earned. I know, but you going back to where you said, you know, there's certain just human instincts that we have. For yeah. some reason, I I take people at face value. You know, like a lot of people say trust has to be earned. And for some reason, I take, you know, everybody starts with an A with me and you have to work to an F, right? You don't go from an F to an yes. F. Yes, yes. You know, and I kind of like that about myself. I know, I know. But I'm going to challenge you a little bit here. And what I'm going to sure. say to you is that that's the very issue that I talk about in my book. Because we are a certain way, we assume that everybody else is that way. It's a naivete. You're right. And, and it clouds our judgment and unfortunately, as I think we both discovered, not everybody is like that. And so not everybody deserves your trust. And Damn it, Dr. I, Nay, what's your, <laughs> what's, your, what's your Venmo? My copay is in the mail. <laughs> no, and I know it's hard because trust me, I am the most trusting person by nature, but I've learned the hard way. And the second thing is I talk about green flags and my current husband, I'll be, our marriage is not perfect. We've had our moments, right? Sure. Well, we've made it through 24 years. And when we first had our first disagreement or argument, he was like, yeah, I, I, I hear that. I get that. I was like, what? <laughs> Aren't you going to call me an asshole and tell me how unworthy I am? Right. I was just like, wait, you hear me? And so I say to people now, somebody can't hear you. They can't love you. And I could actually have needs. Like I actually could have needs and, and he would take care of me and- he listened to me. You know, it's funny. I saw this reel the other day on Instagram where the girl was at like her counter table and she was just working on whatever she's working on. And she's like the bewilderment of coming out of a narcissistic abusive relationship because, you know, her ex never did shit for her. And she's like, the refrigerator is five feet away. And my husband comes up to me and goes, hey, can I get you a glass of water while you're working? And she's like, boom, like her fucking brain explodes. Yeah, it explodes, explodes. And I remember my therapist said to me, you know, 
when I was with Jordan, you know, you're going to meet a guy who's going to cook for you. I was like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Meanwhile, my husband loves to cook. Awesome. You know, so it was all these little things and that ended up ending up in a good relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so like something I talk about on my podcast a lot is, you know, the idea of you have to love yourself before you can love somebody else. And I never really truly understood that until I came out of my relationship. But my thought process is they say you got to love yourself before you can love anybody else because you need to know that should that relationship end, you can always rely on you, you know? So like when I got out of the relationship, exercise was a huge, huge thing for me. I remember I used to bundle up real tight in the snow in the winter. I didn't give a shit. Walk 13 miles a day. I mean, I was excessive and I want to talk to you about that. I was excessive. You know, I love my music, you know? Yes, you do. Music is such a big thing for me. And, you know, connecting with people, you know, because when we're we're in these relationships, so many times I'd be staring at the ceiling 3 a.m. thinking, what the fuck is wrong with her? Why doesn't she get this thing? And then I go out and it's weird. You know, we always say they're so textbook. We all relate to each other so much. So for me, it was so important for me to connect with people. What's some other best practices you can give the listeners for how to heal yourself post-traumatic yeah. stress. Yeah, I, I think you bring up, I'm real, first of all, I'm really glad you bring up music. I, I don't put, I mean, I put it as a self-care thing, but my son is actually a musician. He's a rapper. Yeah, I heard that. Uh, That's cool. And I know that music really helped him after a trauma he went through after losing a friend, seeing a friend die. Right. So I'm really glad that you bring up music. But the first thing about trauma treatment, and you've been traumatized because trauma means you've experienced something that's out of the ordinary and a trauma bond is a love relationship that's out of the ordinary. So you do have trauma symptoms. You have to stabilize with self-care, as you mentioned. You must exercise. You must get sleep. You must eat well, right? You you have to be in therapy. You have to have self-care to stabilize, to begin your recovery. And you also have to work on your cognitive dissonance. And I want to oh, bring yeah. points up because it's not a lot of the topic a lot of people don't know. When you're in the relationship, what keeps you trapped is you have cognitive dissonance, which means you mentally struggle with the truth, right? And you feel a lot of discomfort. Wait, are they good? Are they bad? Do I love them? Do I hate them? Is there a relationship? Yeah, you refer to it as mental bad? warfare in your book. Yeah. I'm like, yes, it's mental yeah. warfare. Because like you 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 come out and and you don't realize now, you know, having the hindsight that I have, you realize like more will be revealed years down the line. Yeah. Like when you're coming out, you're like, you didn't know that this puzzle fits next and this piece of the puzzle fits next to that one fits next to that one. I mean, ultimately it'll all be revealed. But like when you're going through that, especially in those early stages, that detox, it's a legit drug detox. Yeah. Yeah. And the cognitive dissonance, just think about it. Three different layers about you, about them and about the relationship. So Mm -hmm. that's six different thoughts constantly ping ponging in your brain. So that affects your executive functioning, which is your ability to plan and organize and strategize. And so you really need that when you're leaving a trauma bond. And so what I say to help heal cognitive dissonance, very simple. A lot of people get these positive flashbacks, but the love bombing stage, they were so good. Maybe they're not that bad. No, the love bombing was disingenuous and manipulative. It's they're not two people. They're one person, the love bombing stage is just as manipulative as the cruel person. It's part of the abuse. It's part of the abuse. And you have to get that through your head. That helps you heal your cognitive dissonance. So you have to stabilize. You really have to work on your cognitive dissonance. And then you got to treat all your trauma symptoms, Mm. like the hypervigilance, right? Like the intrusive thoughts, like the depression, like the shame, right? Or some people even have physical symptoms. And that's where I really say, you know, Read, get educated, you know, and if you can, get yourself to a trauma therapist or a therapist that really knows about this because you don't need to go get gaslit again and somebody say to you, why'd you stay so long? Can you, this is like a really prevalent topic. And and for me, like when I came out of my relationship, I talked to the therapist. So I was looking for a trauma-informed therapist. And I remember saying to the therapist, I go, hey, look, I have reason to believe that I have been gaslit for the last 10 years, Okay. I'm just kind of coming to terms with things, but what I don't want to do in therapy, I kind of set this boundary a little bit as I said, I don't really want the other side of the coin because I know the other side of the coin. Right. I've exhausted this mouse wheel in you my are, brain. Yes. Yes. Right. So I was like, 
I'm looking for validation, you know, and and if yeah. I'm wrong, I can be I can take that advice. But how do you find a good trauma informed therapist? I know that's the hard. That's really the hard part. It's really trial and error. There, I put in my book a lot of different trauma treat like trauma theories. One of them yeah. that I studied was the neuroaffective relational model, which I hate that name but it's <laughs> theory. But EMDR, and I say to people like, give it a few tries. You know, like go go to more than one therapist because not you need somebody that you really connect with and a therapist that's open to learning about this because this really is a specialty. Yeah, you know, Sandra L. Brown, MA, has that book, Women Who Love Psychopaths. Yeah, well, right. She she I know has a bunch of therapists now that are working under her. So I would suggest that. But yeah, it, it's challenging to find a good therapist, but they are out there. They are and, out there. And any good therapist that's that's good is going to be willing to learn about the nuances yeah. that you dealt with. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and the thing is, too, is like I had sort of a predisposition because I had been through a lot of marriage counseling. And oh, yeah. Oh, I was always triangulated and and, you know, always made to think I was the crazy one and you know, so I had sort of a predisposition I to bet. not like therapy and say, fuck this. I'm not going back. I'll do it on my own. But no, the therapist that I had, shout out to her. I'm not going to put names on this, but uh, no, yeah. my therapist was awesome. Awesome. And that's why I love your platform so much, because you speak from a point, you know, you lived it. You Not only yeah. do you have the school of hard knocks, but you yeah. actually have the, the education yeah. and the theory to yes. back it up. Yes. Um, yes. Ultimately, too, like we have to move on with our lives, you know? <laughs> And like, we have to go out and we have to live our lives. And so just recently in this past week, I started a Facebook group, a Dimming the Gaslight Facebook group to connect, you know, more on a personal level with some of my followers and stuff like that. Yes. And something that I love that I didn't necessarily expect is like people are posting not necessarily like narcissistic related things, but they're posting this one guy's playing his guitar. This other guy's out and he bought tickets right. to his favorite football game. Yeah. Another guy's, you know, sipping a whiskey by his fireplace, listening to Christmas music. I yeah. think it's so, and like, for example, I'm going out, I live right next to New York City. I'm going out to Little Italy tonight, going to have a nice dinner. Like, so, so like my thing is, how do you ultimately not let this define you? You were married to the Wolf of Wall Street, for Christ's <laughs> sakes. How do you ultimately not let this define you? Well, that's the last title of my name of my chapter is Go Live, right? Right. You have to go live. You, you, you just, yes. Here's the thing. We can experience trauma symptoms, feel sad, feel ashamed, feel depressed, have intrusive thoughts, and still go live. Right. Both are possible. Life, we we can't let, let life stop us. You know, can't let that stop us. And we do need support and we do need community. And, you know, I also wanted to say another thing that really helps heal from trauma bonds is self-compassion. Yeah. Offering yourself compassion. I suffered, the world suffers. Let me speak to myself as I would a good friend. And, you know, you might not want to go out. And sometimes you might just want to cocoon. And that's okay too. And that's okay too. You but know, like I have a lot of people. Go on. Life goes on. Totally. Life goes on. And I have people who reach out to me and they say, like, I can't get out of bed. Like, people reach out to me all the time and say, I can't get out of bed. And I'm like, I've been there. And I go, okay, let me ask you a question. What's your favorite food? And they'll say steak. And I go, okay, do me a favor. Order a steak. Order it in. Get it delivered. Yeah. Order your yeah. favorite steak yeah. right now. I was like, what's your favorite record? And they say, the Beatles. Cool. Put on the Beatles. Eat that steak. And when you're done, I just yeah. want you to go for a walk around the block. Right. Just for just for yeah. 10 minutes. And at the end of the day, like, it sounds so hokey. No, but at the end of the day, like, these are the kind of things that, like, when you're laying in bed and you're catatonic and I remember throwing up and crying and just, like, you don't know how you're going to get to later that night, I feel like it's so important to just start somewhere. Yeah. And I think it's really important how you talk to yourself and that's what self-compassion yeah. is like. Yeah. yeah, this is hard and you will get through it and you can get through it. This yeah. soon too shall pass, right? And I always say to my patients, Let's build the resources. Let's build the physical, emotional, financial, spiritual resources, whether it's medicine, exercise, therapy, healthy food. Like, I want to resource you to deal with this. Totally. And once you resource yourself slowly but surely, you do start to come out of it, as you know, because you're going to Little Italy tonight. <laughs> you know what the funny thing is? So like I, I sit there and I go there, like I had a lot of mantras. I think mantras is a great thing. Uh, there's a great, I'm, I'm not like a big religious person, 
But a follower of mine sent me a religious song called I'm Gonna See a Victory. And like that was like a resounding mantra for me. But another yeah. one of my mantras was, you know, because when I was in the relationship, you're always told you're crazy, you're crazy, you're crazy. I know. And I switched it to you're human, man. You're just human. You have these emotions. You're allowed to be angry. You're allowed to be sad. What you suffered was like unprecedented abuse. Well, yeah, and you're allowed intimate, to cry. Yeah, it's intimate terrorism. Yes. Yeah, you're you're in emotional warfare. Yes. And so we got to give, you know, our space to our feelings, because if we don't, that's what causes the anxiety and the depression. Right. So when we stop them down, that's a pressing down of self. And anxiety is when we choke our emotions right here. Yeah. So got to give ourselves the space to cry, get it out, journal. And Yell, scream. Right. Anger is so normal, man. I, I I hate this stigma of anger not being normal. It's normal in this situation. It's very normal. It's just usually how we express it that gets in the way. Right. But yeah, right. giving giving your emotions the space. And then yes. and then you go live. Yeah. I'm totally with you. Well, Dr. Nay, we're coming to the end of the hour, but I can't let you get away without, like I said, I want to play a little fact fiction or shades of the truth when it comes to the movie. Are you cool with that? Totally. Let's do it. All right. So a lot of my friends, you know, we're, we're men. We want to know about all the quaaludes. <laughs> so all real. The, the, I know, but the scene of him rolling down the stairs to the it's car. The best. Fact fiction or shades of the truth? You know, I think that's probably shades of the truth. Remember, I wasn't there when he left the club. So I don't know if that happened, <clears throat> but that is my favorite scene. Oh, it is. Uh, yeah, I love that scene. But he did come home and his car was crashed and I did not know. Till the police came. That's fact. So, so the police came. Was it? Was it really like I didn't? Was he saying like I didn't do anything? Sleeping on the couch? Yeah, yeah. Really, the truth. And I had no idea till I saw the car. Holy shit! What a life. How about when he? Well, so this is one of the scariest parts of the movie when he goes to take your daughter and crashes through the garage. That's true. Yes. Jesus Christ! What else movie isn't true? Hi. <laughs> yeah, but tell that story I before we get into that. Water, I never threw water in his face. Okay. I Did never tried to take the kids. Never once. No. Okay. No. Okay. No. 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 And I never did the sexy scene in the nursery. I'm not that sexy. Oh my god. Yeah. No. I wasn't going to bring that up. That's on you. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. No. No. Oh, that was all true. Now the sequence of events were different, right? Okay. With my daughter, that was different. It was more. It wasn't. It didn't go down like that. But that did happen. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but we're all here. But here's the good news. We're all doing good today. And that's what I want to say to people is that there is hope on the other side, even for you. You will get through this. You're putting in the work. My family authentically talks about it. Well, we have no choice, right? Mm. And my kids are great. And it's okay. That's wonderful. I'm so glad that you said, go live. Life goes on. You move on. And as I mentioned, her book is called Run Like Hell, set to drop January 9th, correct? Yeah. So congratulations. It is an absolute must read for anybody out there. You're going to think Dr. Nay was present during your entire relationship. I know that's how I felt. So Dr. Nay, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. And I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a really fun, wonderful talk. I appreciate your candor. And you're going to get to the other side. You watch, you see. I appreciate it. Okay. Well, until next time, everybody.